Talk Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Yes, this is the big dog, Joel Radwanski, the coach, John Cohen, on another one of his sabbaticals. And, and sorry about the confusion at the beginning of the show, but wow, I went through an unbelievable sneeze attack. Couldn't be on the show right at the beginning of it. So uh, our man David Olson, the producer, doing his job, starts, uh, starts one of our rebroadcasts. But that won't be happening today. This will be a live show. Uh, it'll be one and a half guys in a mic. The coach, like I said, is not here, so it's a perfect time. For you to call in at 888-463-6748 to talk to the big dogs. And uh, there's plenty, plenty to talk about in the world of sports. I got a news of the wild, some of the crazy stuff that's going around the world right now. Oh, my goodness. A lot of funny stories in news of the wild. So, well, welcome in, everybody. This is Joel Redwanski and it's been just absolutely crazy hot the last couple of days. So I know you people don't want to hear about my sneeze attack. You can probably care less about that because you have to deal with it, your own conditions uh, the last couple of days. And today's supposed to be even hotter than yesterday. And one thing I, I will say is, so I, I live out in Aurora, and you know I'm working in the city. When I left my house in Aurora at eight o'clock in the morning, and got to the city, you know, and then was on the river and blah, blah, blah. I swear to you, it was 20 degrees hotter in Aurora at 8 in the morning than it was in Chicago at noon when I was right by the lake. It, there really is that much difference of uh, cooler by the lake or whatever the, the quote is. I mean, it's, it's absolutely right. Uh, and Aurora always tends to be at least 10 to 15 degrees hotter than downtown Chicago. It's, it's really amazing. And it's... I guess we're like in some type of valley out here in Aurora. And typically we get a lot higher temperatures than even suburbs that are pretty close to us. We're like two to five degrees warmer than, the, than these other suburbs around here. So maybe I picked the wrong place to live because, man, is it hot. But nobody really wants to hear about that. But yesterday, a weird thing happened to cool down the city of Chicago. Maybe that's why it was so dramatically cooler was this, uh, I'm going to have to call it a dry fog because that's what it looked like. But a fog basically blanketed the beachfront yesterday. It got so bad in the city of Chicago that uh, the lifeguards on the beaches had to pull people out of the water because they couldn't see they couldn't see people. It was unsafe. Who knows what could happen? You can't take a chance with people's lives. So uh, all the beaches in the city of Chicago were closed except one, and that was the 35th Street Beach. Were, were you were you down there when this happened, Big Dog? Oh, yeah, I, I was, right when I got done uh, doing my kayak, I did a kayak tour yesterday, and uh, it took uh, the longest tour by an hour of anyone that I have done so far, because uh, I had a, I had to drag a kayak with two people in it. So let's just say it was I was significantly slower than normal. So it took <laughs> a whole hour longer. So I, And by the way, it was, like, it was still about 95-degree heat index in the, in the city, so I had a pretty good workout yesterday. David. So, like, right when it got done, you know, I, I had I figured I'd get a, a bunch of errands done around the city. I, it was so foggy. I could, when I was near the lake riding my bike, I honestly felt unsafe. I was afraid I was going to get hit by a car. And I got I got hit by a car. Uh, how about this uh, rant 
that I want to that I want to do later. But uh, I don't want anybody to think I'm sexist. So I have to do another piece of news before I do the rant. You understand what I mean, David? So I have to like squelch anything. So I, I guess I'm just being PC, but I'm not going to be PC when I do the rant. But at least I want to ease it in. You know, I'm, I'm giving like the, the Vaseline for people. So no, understood. Hey, but no, a buddy of mine uh, posted pictures of that from like the 40th floor of his building, and it was just it was just like the wall of fog, and it reminded me of you, you saw Batman Begins, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know absolutely. the end of the movie, near the end of the movie where they you know they blow all the steam vents and everything. Mm-hmm. That's what the pictures look like in real life. Uh, you know why? That's a perfect description of it because it was a dry fog. It looked like a more of a smoke than a fog, and it was that thick. It was that was the craziest fog I've ever seen, ever. And, and I, I can't tell you how much cooler it was because of it too. Because I was sitting like, "Wow, the sun's not beating down on me anymore." It was it was pretty funny, uh, but you couldn't see anything when I so I rode my bike out to about Wells, and by Wells you were out of the fog, but it was still hazy. But when you looked towards the lake, you could see nothing. It was just a wall of white. And then when you went towards the city, you couldn't see any building except, like, the Sears Tower. That's how, and uh, just about four or five tops of buildings, that's all you could see. So I've never seen fog like that in the city ever. It was That was the thickest fog I'd ever seen. So a little crazy. Uh, but, yeah, they're shutting beaches down. So it was a, a strange day for weather in the city of Chicago. It was, it's one of the hotter days we've had uh, in the last couple of years. And then a, a fog like that rolls in to cool everything down. It was pretty nice and uh, by the lake yesterday. Uh, now, for for our baseball teams, for the Chicago Cubs in particular, not exactly a great day. Matt Garza, the starting pitcher, going up against Cliff Lee yesterday, and Starlin Castro hits a home run off of Cliff Lee. Uh, Starlin's third of the year to give the Cubs a, a 2 nothing lead, and then Matt Garza just grinds it out, uh, doesn't give up anything for, for seven innings. This is the eighth time this year he's given up one or less runs. Okay, that's that's a lot of ball games that you know you've given your team a really good chance to win, and heck, you should be eight and zero in those in those particular games. Well, Matt Garza's record in those games are is one in three. That's pretty much typifies this tough season. So they can't even uh, take advantage of when Matt Garza's been excellent, and he's been excellent a lot this season. And uh, I was critical of the Garza trade. I thought the Cubs gave up way too much for a number two starter. But, you know, if hopefully he is a legitimate number two starter when the Cubs actually get their act together because he is definitely a, a piece of the future. Jim Hendry has said specifically that uh, Garza will not be traded, Dempster won't be traded, and Sean Marshall will not be traded. Now, Sean Marshall filling in for Carlos Marmol as the closer as, we, uh, as they try to get Carlos Marmol right because he can't find the strike zone. I mean, he's nowhere near it. You know, effectively wild is great. Wild beyond reproach is another thing. The guy can't get the ball anywhere near the near the strike zone. So Sean Marshall uh, fills in as a closer. And yesterday, yeah, he gives up the lead. Phillies win four to two. You saw the the hits that were falling in. It was like a, a broken bat loop single, and then uh, that Michael Martinez kid did basically the same thing with the little loop single or double. He got eventually got thrown out uh, going to third base when two runs scored. Uh, over uh, Carlos Pena's head, so it wasn't like they were hitting line drives all over the place on him. Sean Marshall was a very excellent pitcher, but going back to that, I wasn't so happy about the Matt Carza deal a couple years ago. I thought 
going in this year, I, did, I thought they gave up way too much for him. But, you know, looking back at it now, if you get a good quality major league pitcher that can win you 15 games a season, if Matt Garza, if you have a decent lineup around him, and obviously the Cubs don't now, but with a, a decent lineup around Matt Garza, he's a, he will win 15 games a year for the Cubs. So, very good move by Jim Hendricks. So, hopefully we can get a couple more good moves. Now, that's uh, all year long, before, even before he got hot, and believe it or not, since June 1st, Aramis Ramirez, most home runs, most RBIs in all of Major League Baseball. 14 home runs, 35 RBIs. That's the most in the game. So uh, in April and May, I was begging for him to get hot so we could trade him. And then the last couple of weeks, uh, the coach, John Cohn, and I have been laughing. All oh, this is so great. He's killing the ball. Line drives everywhere. Aramis Ramirez have old his back. And, you know, luckily it's given the Cubs a couple extra wins for this, this time so they can get to that magic number of 63 wins that I'm hoping that they can get to. Uh, but it turns out that Aramis Ramirez, the real reason why we were happy was the fact that he was going to hopefully be traded and we can get some good prospects for him because there's a few teams that are contending that need third baseman. Uh, the Angels are one of them. Now, the Angels just got uh, hammered last night, and maybe the Rangers are taking control of that division and the Angels don't consider themselves a, a contender anymore, but there's a few teams that are contenders that really need a third baseman. So I was hoping, hey, maybe the, the Cubs can get rid of this guy. Well, it turns out Robinson Ramirez says, I'm, I don't want to leave the Cubs. I love Chicago. I love being here, and I don't mind being a loser the rest of this season. And, you know, in, in some sense, you know, when Derek Lee, it, when it happened with Derek Lee, it kind of bothered me a little bit. You know, I look back on it now. Robinson Ramirez has been here since 03. Maybe his family is, oh, you know, set, going to school here, all that other stuff with the kids. So, it's a it's a lot easier for me to say, hey, trade this guy, get him out of here. So for some people that possibly could be good down the road, than than for the guy that is going to be traded and has to uproot his family. So stuff like that happens. But it's still hopefully Aramis Ramirez does change his mind and says, hey, I've been willing to trade the no wait the no trade clause, and he gets traded to a, a team that can maybe give the Cubs. Uh, a young number one starter prospect because that's what they don't have. That. The Cubs minor league system is a lot better than uh, people think it is. As a matter of fact, they had 12 all-stars on their double-A Tennessee Jacks team this year, which is awfully good, folks. So the Cubs minor league system is a little bit better, but they don't have top quality, like drooling at the mouth, number one, like, starting pitching down there. That's the one thing that the Cubs are lacking. And that's if you don't have that, you really you don't have anything in a sense. Uh, so that's why I'm well, another reason why I'm glad they got Garza, but uh, it, it would be nice if the Cubs can steal somebody uh, that could actually be electrifying as, as a rookie. I mean, it seems like every team in baseball nowadays is putting out some type of top-ranked great prospect. And in, in terms of pitching, you look at the Reds, my goodness, they got like 10 guys that are uh, 25 or younger, either in their farm system or in their starting rotation right now, that, that you think, wow, this guy could end up being phenomenal. I want the Cubs to start start uh, sending these guys, these type of guys up. That really gets uh, you know your blood boiling as a, as a Cub fan, because if you're watching games now, you are a true Cub fan, because... We all know that the Cubs have no chance of uh, winning the division, uh, a slim chance of getting back to 
to 500. So if you're watching the Cubs now, you truly are a diehard Cubs fan. So this, these are the things that you want to see. So hopefully we can get some young pitching in this because that, that's the key right now because I really feel comfortable as a diehard Cubs fan. The more I look at the, the players they got coming up in their system, they've got a boatload of athletic outfielders that can hit and play defense. Uh, a bunch of number one draft picks, number two draft picks, like uh, Brett Jackson, this kid who went to Cal Berkeley. Well, you know, they drafted him because his numbers were at Cal were unbelievable and he was an unreal athlete. And, you know, a lot of times you don't draft outfielders in the first round. You're drafting, you're drafting pitchers, you're drafting shortstops, you're drafting catchers. You know, they always tend to say, like, outfielders are like a dime a dozen. So when the Cubs drafted this kid in the first round, he really needed to hit. He really needed to be a guy that could, that could play the game. And hopefully within two years he'll be playing for the Cubs. And I would love to see him. Uh, playing left field the rest of the season after the Cubs trade Alfonso Soriano, but that is a that's a pipe dream because I don't think the Cubs are going to be able to trade Soriano. But believe it or not, there have been whispers. I don't know how true they are, but Brian Cashman, the general manager of the Yankees, would have interest in one Alfonso Soriano. To be quite honest with you, I, I think it's a pipe dream, but it would be awfully nice if. The remaining 3.4 years left on Soriano's $17 million a year contract could be moved. And I don't care who it's to. I don't care if the Cubs don't get anything back. As a matter of fact, if the trade was we send them Alfonso Soriano and we send them cash, I would think it would be a good move. I'm not saying pay for the whole contract, but say here, you can have Soriano and we'll pay $4 million a year of his contract. So the Cubs would only owe him at this point about... $13 million. <laughs> if I'm Jim Hatchamsey, please, we actually get a guy out in left field that can catch the ball, a guy that can swing at strikes when he was batting, and, uh, and quite honestly, somebody that can probably do it at about $600,000 a year. Would that You would have improvements on two different levels of, of your team, and you're doing that at 120th the cost. Hopefully this could happen. Will it? I, I'm, I doubt it. I doubt it highly, but... Uh, are the Cubs going in a good direction? I know they're going to have the horrible year. I, I think they are. Uh, and uh, options like what they did last night, putting uh, Sean Marshall in as a closer instead of Carlos Marmol. Well, hopefully Carlos Marmol will get uh, everything righted pretty soon. And Sean Marshall, folks, he's one of the best seventh or eighth inning guys in the game. Mitch Williams, who knows a thing about being effectively wild, has a theory that if uh, in the seventh or eighth innings, the hitters, even though they're trailing, because we're talking about guys that are going to be uh, hold guys or close guys, so when your team has a tight lead in a game and you're trying to hold on and, uh, and get a victory, Williams thinks that when a batter's in a situation where they're down and they're facing like a, in the seventh or eighth inning, um, they're more likely to, to take a ball. They're not going to. They're not going to be as aggressive because it's not the ninth inning, and they're not thinking, "Oh, I, you know, I don't want to go down looking. I'm going to go down with a, like a. Well, I don't want to go out with any bullets in the gun type, of, you know, attitude." But in the seventh or eighth inning, you know, you have to have a guy that stro- throws strikes because hitters will be more patient. And then in the ninth inning, you want a guy that, hey, is this guy going to hit me with a pitch? I mean, he's he doesn't really get the ball over the plate consistently, but his stuff is electric and it moves everywhere. And, you know, there's obviously there's pitchers that are like that, like Mitch Williams, and there's, there's been a few others, and there's other pitchers that have been great 
uh, closers that, like Dennis Eckersley, who would, you know, you could put a nail on a wall and he would throw it at it and the ball would stick on the nail. So, uh, sometimes I guess so if you have that much control, you can pitch in any inning and be effective. I, I do understand what Mitch Williams was talking about. I really think there's some, some, some credence to that. So, in next year, if the Cubs can put together a decent pitching staff in terms of starters, and maybe some of these young kids actually do pan out, in the National League Central, I don't see why they couldn't contend. The, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who is right now everybody's favorite team in baseball, talking about the Berg and the Pirates. I don't see why the Cubs couldn't. Uh, I don't see why the Cubs couldn't contend next year. So, just throwing it out there. Uh, the National League Central is never going to be a dominant uh, division, at least uh, and not in the foreseeable future. There's a lot of decent teams. You're talking about like the Reds oh, just seem to have way too many holes, even though they have uh, all this young pitching that some of it's good, some of it's bad. The Brewers, well, we all know what's going to happen to the Brewers. The Brewers will have a real, real good season, and then they'll lose two of their free agents, and then they'll be average for three years, and then they'll have a really, really good season, and then they'll lose their free agents, and then they'll be decent for three years. So you have to worry about the Brewers only once every four years, and that might be this year because uh, if if they keep on getting the starting pitching that they have, they're going to be in pretty good shape. And Francisco Rodriguez pitching in the eighth inning for them, that's you know, not a bad gig that they got going out there. So pretty decent bullpen for the Milwaukee Brewers. But, and I'm, I'm not going for the Cardinals. Cardinals are always winning the division. Okay, I, I want the Pirates to win it. The, the Cardinals have the experience. They're loaded with superstar talent, honestly, because if you think about their pitching staff, I know Chris Carpenter, I'm expecting him to have a really, really good second half. His last couple of starts, he's looked very good. So there's a good chance that, you know, the Cardinals are going to beat it all the way. But the Pirates, maybe it's a little bit of baseball magic this year for the, for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They've got really good pitching. As a matter of fact, they have 13 shutouts already this season. It's unbelievable. So uh, 13 shutouts. Uh, this kid James McDonald last night uh, pitched seven innings, shutout ball, turned it over to the bullpen. Uh, Joe Hanrahan, who's perfect this year with saves. So, uh, you know, they got it going on down there in Pittsburgh. And the one thing they can do is catch the ball. They've got a really good defense. And they also are a pretty deep team because this team has not been whole at all this season. They've had injuries. Right now, Ronnie Cedeno is out. You know, as Cubs fans, you know, maybe he's not a good offensive player, but Ronnie Cedeno is a heck of a defensive shortstop. And, uh, yeah, he's been really picking it for the, the Pirates all year, and he's been out the last couple of weeks with injuries. And then uh, Jose Tabato or Tabato, whatever you say his name is, phenomenal defensively. He was great last year, but, you know, he he's kind of a slow start this year. So they haven't even been, you know, firing at all cylinders yet. Here they are. They lead the National League Central stuff. Latest. They've led the National League Central or any division because it was actually the National League East the last time they led a division, which was in 1992. So it's been an awfully long time. I was, in 1992, at that time, I, I do believe uh, uh, George Bush, George H. Bush, was the president of the United States. So uh, it's been one heck of a long time since the Pittsburgh Pirates were in first place. That was... Uh, pretty late in the season back in in July of 92. And they ended up winning the division that year, and that's the year that Barry Bonds then fled and went to the San Francisco Giants for uh, an actual boatload of money. 
Uh, he left, and then 93 till now, the Pirates have been absolutely abysmal. And, and most of the time, they did not win 70 games. You're talking like a lot of like 30 game below 500 teams. So it's, it's, it's good to see Pittsburgh playing good ball. But one thing I, I'm going to say is, I've heard people saying, oh, yeah, the Pittsburgh fans are finally back, and it's because they're winning, but they've never really drawn. Even in the early 90s when they had Barry Bonds and Andy Van Select and Bobby Bonilla, okay, maybe that wasn't the most likable team. But they were really, really good, and they wouldn't even sell out playoff games. So it's, it's really rare. It was the We Are Family, the late 70 Pirate teams used to draw really well. That was the last time they ever drew there. But, hey, they're getting 35, 38,000 a game over there at PNC Park, which is without a doubt the place that I want to see most in all of baseball. Uh, hopefully next year maybe go there and see the, uh, a good rivalry game between the Pirates and the Cubs with both of them, both of them contending. That would be one heck of a series. Uh, we'll have to see. So that's done with the National League Central talk. Uh, looking around all around baseball, the Texas Rangers are hot, folks. Twelve consecutive wins. Last night, Alexei Ogando threw eight scoreless innings for the for the Rangers. This was also their twelfth shutout of the season. I mean, it's the, the Rangers are really pitching. So Ogando, you know, eight innings, hands it over to the bullpen. They, they got a pretty decent bullpen with the Rangers. Uh, Neftali Perez, their closer. Uh, but this team, they can catch the ball and they can pitch it. And the crazy thing is, Alexei Ogando, Ogando is uh, ten and three on the season. His ERA is right around three right now. Uh, he he's been pretty consistent. He went through a rough stretch like uh, in the middle of June, but his last three outings, his he's been you know pinpoint, and that that's really was some concern for the Rangers because this kid is a converted outfielder, and it was only like two years ago. It was uh, you know he. He was a pretty decent hitter and a decent outfielder, but like a very suspect major league prospect. Like most likely, he probably was not going to make it as an outfielder. So uh, somebody said they liked the way he threw. He threw with a, a nice, easy uh, motion. So they moved this kid to a pitcher, and he's been electrifying it. And if you watch, he throws effortlessly. You know, it's funny. It was. It was. You can see why somebody can say this guy should have been a pitcher because considering that he's never pitched up until uh, about two years ago, he's got a beautiful, beautiful throwing arm. So uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, about whether they're going to let him pitch a certain amount of innings and all that. Does he have a pitch limit? You know, he was just a reliever, let alone the fact that he was turned into a pitcher only two years ago, so they don't want to mount too many innings on him. And, and the Rangers, who have been really tough on their pitchers, Nolan Ryan, team president, who, by the way, is in the hospital because he's suffering from some type of uh, heart condition, uh, they, do, they do say it's nothing new. It's basically the same stuff that he was dealing with before. So, uh, you know, wish Nolan Ryan all the best. It was pretty cool because the Rangers who shot out the Angel last night, uh, the Angel fans had a lot of nice signs and, and banners wishing Nolan Ryan the best. Nolan Ryan obviously pitched for the, the Angels in the 70s and had, he had two different Seasons where he threw two no hitters for the Angels in the in the 1970s, so that was a pretty nice stretch for him. Uh, but Nolan Ryan, as the president of the of the Texas Texas Rangers, has been really hands on about control over the pitching staff, and he makes them work harder than any staff in baseball. All this, all these other people, oh, we we worry about uh, if they're throwing too much, we want to limit their work. 
he to him they cannot throw enough. If you want to strengthen your arm, you need to throw a lot in between games because games will put a lot of wear and tear on them. So if your arm isn't prepared for that, and then quite simply you'll probably get injured more. And I think Nolan Ryan knows something about this, considering he pitched for 27 years, and he only went on the DL twice in those 27 years. That, that's not bad. Most, most major league pitchers, if you're good, will have like an eight-year career, okay? And during that eight-year span, you'll probably be on the DL five times. And, and most, if, if we said this right now that the, that the Cubs or the White Sox were going to get a pitcher that pitched eight years and was and was in the lineup every single day except for the five times he was on the deal. We'd be like, hey, that's, that's a performer. The guy who's always out there. Nolan Ryan was on the deal twice in 27 years, and a lot of those years he was in a four-man rotation where he would pitch every fourth day, and he was starting 40 games a season. So um, it, seemed to, it seemed to work for him. So he expects a lot out of his pitchers, so they throw a lot. Alexei Ogando? Well, okay, this guy was an outfield a couple years ago, and Nolan Ryan has quite out, flat out just said this. He said, ah, how many innings is the kid going to pitch this year? He said, the batters will determine that. So, okay. And, uh, so is he going to be a, a starter all year, or is he going to be a reliever? The, the people that he faces are going to determine that. So, quite honestly, all of Nolan Ryan says, we're going to let this kid pitch. So, and I love that. And it's funny, it's kind of like a maverick, it's maverick thinking nowadays that, he wants the kid to work and isn't worried about whether or not the kid breaks down and gets hurt. And he actually thinks that this is the way to build a pitcher up, considering he was one of those pitchers that actually did it that way. So it isn't just talk. He actually walked the walk. I like it. I absolutely like it. You know, there was talk that Greg Maddox, who uh, is him, Jim, Jim Henry's ear. He's a special assistant to the Cubs. Um, I have no problem if Rick gets moving ahead, you know, pushed Greg Maddox up one and maybe moved uh, Jim Hendry to, like, consultant for beer sales or something like that because, obviously, that's doing really well there. I don't think he can, he can even hammer that up. Um, but Greg Maddox has, has been outspoken about the fact that he threw, he and the other brain pitchers threw more than anybody that he had ever seen. When he was with the Cubs, he threw more than everybody. And, you know, this was a young kid building his arm up, Okay. And he threw a lot in between starts. And when he was with the Braves, that was uh, one of Leo Mazzoni's things. You know, Leo Mazzoni, the, the great Atlanta Braves pitching coach, the guy that was always rocking in the dugout, spitting out seeds. Well, uh, they believed in throwing a lot in between games. And you can say, well, the Braves only won one world championship. Well, I do know this. The Braves continually, year in and year out, had healthy pitchers that dominated the National League. And you're even talking about they had the John Smoltz. Obviously, he blew his elbow out twice. But if you think about how consistently pitchers for the Braves would go out and get 30 starts in a season, it was more than any team in baseball in the 1990s or the last 10 years. Let's face it; even it continues now. Like this, this whole Braves uh, deal with their pitching staff—they do not baby them. They they make these kids throw a lot in between starts. The Braves have continued to have a dominant pitching staff, even when they don't have the likes of Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz, and the Millwoods and Nagels of the world. So, throwing it out there, I, I like the fact Nolan Ryan actually making these kids work and, and the strong sensation they have not babying the kid. And, and you know, let them, hey, if you keep on getting people out, we're going to keep on needing you to go out there. 
and, and get some victories for us. So, uh, actually, I think it's, it's pretty cool thinking. So we're going to take a really quick break. That is definitely enough of the introduction in baseball. And when we come back, we're going to go to a little bit of, of news of the wild that's going around in the world. It's, there's some pretty funny stuff, some sad stuff, some interesting stuff. So you're listening to uh, Two Guys in the Mic. This is Joel Rodwanski. Hopefully the coach, John Cohn, is safe somewhere during his sabbatical. We'll be back in a minute or two. You guys, I'm Mike. This is Joel Redwanski. And uh, you give me a call at 888-463-6748. Plenty to talk about. And, and you you know me. We can go anywhere when it comes to uh, any questions you have. Anything on sports, hopefully I'll nail it. Other than that, I'll just give you my opinion. 888-463-6748. So now we move on to, to news of the wild. And, you know, some of these stories are sad, and some of them are just like disbelieving. Like, how how could you do this? And, and other stuff is just kind of funny, but one of them that starts out is a, a really sad one, or is it sad? We're not sure, but right now there are suspected hikers who are missing in Yosemite National Park. And when I say suspected, people, there's someone that has come forward and said, um, hey, I saw a couple hikers fall into the Merced River and get swept, and, the, and they fell right by where there's a 370-foot waterfall in Yosemite Park. Now, nobody has confirmed this. Nobody has said it definitely happened, you know, but uh, they have to look for these people. Now, there's no, nobody has been claimed missing at all, but yet there was a, a suspected fall or someone that fell into the Merced River. So it's a really strange story going on there. So they're searching for people if they don't really even know if somebody's missing because – Somebody said they were they were pretty far away, and they're like, I thought I saw somebody go in and fall into the river. So this is an uh, an awfully strange story. Now, the, uh, Yosemite National Park, absolutely phenomenal. I haven't been there yet, but if, oh, that's the next. That's going to be the next national park that I go to. Um, it's also extremely treacherous. Eight people this year have already died in Yosemite Park, which you know I, I was like, really eight. You know, you know, and I haven't heard about any of them until uh, the suspected people that are missing. So, extremely, extremely strange story. Uh, so now they're going to continue looking for somebody, but they're really not even sure if they're looking for anybody. There, there's been some crazy stories. Now, earlier this year, a guy fell into uh, the Merced River because it's an extremely, like, really cool-looking craggy, uh, craggy rock place. Well, a guy fell in, hit his head, he got snagged on a rock, and his family had a like, basically, see their dad caught on a rock like getting, as the river was, like, passing by him. And it took him hours in order to get to the guy in, in order to get him back. And by then, they, he was done. So uh, some uh, 
I mean, you got to be careful at Yosemite Park. Eight people died at a national park this year already. I mean, I, I, I know they've got some pretty crazy, uh, like, climbs. Like, you walk up Half Dome, and I mean, I've been told by many people, you got to be really careful because there's this one part where you, you walk down holding a rope, and you scale down the, the side of this, the, of, this, uh, of this rock. Well, to most people who are at least a little bit adept at, at uh, any type of climbing, you know, it's, that sounds, oh, that's pretty simple. Okay, so it's, it's on like a 45-degree angle, maybe a little higher than that. Well, what happens if the guy in front of you lets go of the rope and hits you? And then like, So stuff like that happens there. So you've got to be really careful of uh, what other people are doing at Yosemite. So pretty sad story when you think of it. Uh, and we don't even know if somebody's missing. Is it, uh, we don't, they don't think it's a hoax. The person seems pretty sincere that said they saw these two people fall in this river, but no, nobody like at the campgrounds is said to be missing, but people do, you know, just tend to, they'll drive up and just start hiking at Yosemite. So hopefully it's some type of misunderstanding, but possibly somebody could be uh, uh, missing out there. So now uh, in, a, in another area that is absolutely gorgeous, this is a really strange story, uh, but have, have you guys heard of the Montauk Monster? Well, it's up in British Columbia, and it's supposedly the Loch Ness Monster of uh, the Cordoba Bay. And it, it turns out that this, this thing has been seen for centuries, uh, including uh, uh, the, the Native Alaskans up there. They, have, they, they swear that they've seen it. Um, well, there's a videotape now of a reptile-looking creature that is, that's swimming in Cordoba Bay, and it's like two years old. I watched it, and I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but it definitely looks like it's an animal. So uh, if you guys uh, do a little Google search on that, it's really some amazing footage. And they think that there's a reptile, and reptiles are cold-blooded. So I guess if it lives in the water, it could survive. But what does this thing have, like, uh, is it at 34 degrees? Because, you know, if you're a cold-blooded animal, in which reptiles are cold-blooded, your temperature will be whatever the temperature around you is. So that's the, like, so if you've ever seen a frog, like in 10-degree weather, if that's like a practical joke you've ever played, it really is true that the, the frog will, like, explode on the inside. Kind of like, that, that, is, that is like a, that isn't a myth, that is true. Because uh, if you put a frog, which is going to be made of 70% water, it's a reptile, these things, will their, their cells will break down on the inside because they'll freeze, believe it or not. So I guess you could have a reptile that is always in water, you know, because the water, you know, in Alaska, it doesn't freeze. Obviously, there's oceans, there's bays. So I guess we could have a temperature that's like around 35 degrees. But this thing is absolutely massive. It's like a long, like, snake-like looking thing. Hopefully, it isn't a hoax because that would be really cool. But this thing has been spotted for centuries and there's thousands of people. It's just like the Loch Ness Monster, but I guess it doesn't have the same prestige about it because you, we hear about that one all the time, but we don't hear about this thing that they call Caddy, which is in uh, Cadborough Bay, up at, right outside of British Columbia, uh, is where this picture was taken. But there's this, the Montauk Monster is uh, this same exact reptile that has been seen in Alaska for centuries. So who knows? Maybe there's some type of connection there. Uh, now, uh, Little little story about Fourth of July and hot dogs. Now, 150 million hot dogs were eaten at uh, on the Fourth of July this year. It's typical, but uh, I did a little investigation of what hot dogs are made up of, folks. And I don't know, like 
I know people that will oil their cars, make sure there's the uh, proper amount of air pressure in them, okay? They make sure there's a wax on their car, they vacuum it out, okay? And then after they do that, they go for a cruise, and then they go to uh, McDonald's, and they decide to put those nasty buns and wherever the meat comes from in their body and, and go home and be like, man, I don't feel right. Yeah, but your car looks phenomenal. That's so great that you take great care of your car, but you put whatever you want in your body. I was on that a, a little weird, but hot dogs, folks, they are made awfully off of strings. Now, everybody knows that they have all types of fillers that you, that you put in hot dogs. But I just wanted to let you know the turkey meat that you get from hot dogs. Here's how they do it. They actually take these turkeys, obviously, when they're, they're, they're getting the meat off them. You know, they, they're already skinned. They put them on this metal pole, and then they get blasted with high-pressure water <laughs> until all the meat flies off of it into a pile, and then that basically gets compressed and is turned into uh, basically about 80% of your, uh, of your hot dog, which I, which I was actually kind of impressed that it, like, it was 70 to 80% of hot dogs are turkey. You know, I, I, read, I thought, you know, unless you have the all-beef ones, but the, the all-beef ones can no longer be blasted because the fear of mad cow disease, they will not, no longer high water pressure blast the meat off of cows anymore. I don't know how a, you have a dead cow and you blast the water off, how that affects them passing a disease down, but I guess somebody else thought that, so they actually passed the law that you can't do that. So awfully strange. I never knew hot dogs. <laughs> came from high-pressure blasting of, off of Turkey. So, uh, okay, well, uh, now going back to, to California, now Yosemite National Park is pretty close to the Sierra Mountains, and uh, the Sierra Mountains are now back in the news because there is going to be a brand-new gold search going on there that unlike anybody has ever seen before. Now, if you all know, with the, the struggling economies all over the world, Gold is becoming much, much, much more valuable. As a matter of fact, it hit uh, a now record high $1,600 an ounce, uh, according to DrudgeReport.com. So that's, that's an awful high value for an ounce of gold. I, I can remember as a kid watching the, the Price is Right, and uh, they actually had an ounce of gold there, and they had a bid on it, which I thought back then was like one of the coolest things that you could have bid on. I mean, I... I don't know. Oh, here's the washer and dryer or whatever. I wouldn't know that, but that was that was a unique one. And the price is right. Hey, here's an ounce of gold. How much is it worth right now? And uh, it was two hundred and fifty-seven dollars. I remember that number specifically, but I can't remember how old I was when it happened. I'm assuming that was around like 1981 or 1982. Well, gold didn't go up very much. That was until 2007, and then it just skyrocketed. And well, it keeps on going up. And just to let you know, folks, it, I mean, silver might have been a real good buy. Last year it was $17. It's up to $39 now. That's doubled. You know, so uh, uh, when – and usually – and this is usually a bad sign. Normally when you have extremely rich people buying up as much metal as they possibly can, that's usually a bad sign that they're getting their money out of the economy and saving it to reestablish the economy afterwards. So – just just throwing it out there. And there's some people right now who are going after some gold, and it's an Australian bank who is financing the the gold mine that's going on. In the, there's a 360-mile stretch in the Sierra Mountains that has they believe is a gold vein, and uh, they're going to get into this thing. And there's a suspected 
One million tons of gold in the so they talk about totally rearranging the world's economy. That would basically be like they would half of have half of the world's gold. So who knows if this is true or not? But uh, the, I guess there's some crystallized uh, type metal that will come up and that shows that there's uh, gold there. Well, uh, they had dug down 650 feet into the mountain and they struck one of these uh, one of these crystallized uh, veins. And it, just in these crystallized veins, there's uh, there's uh, three ounces in every ton, which is an unbelievable amount of gold. But the thing is, that's usually just like the, the cherry on top when it comes to uh, gold strikes. Usually when you find those things, you find like gigantic, and this they say might be the mother load, the greatest gold find ever, and it's in California. So the California gold rush uh, of, uh, like there was a couple of them, everybody knows uh, the 1849 one. And back then, it was basically from these streams that come out of the Sierra Mountain, the same one that we were talking about, would produce nuggets of gold. You can just put your pan into into the water. I mean, 10% of the people made money, and they made a fortune. The other 90% didn't make any money who went out there. But these these 10% people were finding gigantic chunks of gold, like as big as your fist. You know, that, that basically could feed your family for 50 years. So, um, well, I guess... Uh, where those particular nuggets were coming from in the 1840s were coming from this mother load. This is the actual, they think they found the actual gigantic gold pit that was spewing out all these nuggets. Uh, for heck, they were finding nuggets. They still find them to this day every once in a while. But obviously the big boom was in the 1820s and the 1840s and the 1850s out in, out in uh, San Francisco and, and east of San Francisco into California. So... Pretty, I get, you're going to have to watch out for that. Now, uh, on, on another thing, I, David, could, hopefully I didn't have a board you too much and you're listening, because I do need a little bit of feedback on this particular one. Now, this, this new thing, planking, I keep on hearing it and people tweeting about it. I had no idea what anybody was talking about until today doing research for, for the show. That they were like, oh, hilarious planking video. And I guess it's people just put their bodies across, like, weird or odd things, and they take pictures of themselves. Yep. But today it, yeah, it's, a, where... it, it, it's just laying face down. It's the stupidest fat ever. That's all it is, is laying face down? L- laying face down, yes. Laying face down and taking a picture of yourself. And, and the odder place, the uh, the odder the place, the better, and the funnier it's supposed to be. Okay. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, so honestly, I didn't know. I keep on seeing it. I didn't know what it was. And today they showed this woman who was had her feet in the sink, and she had her hands on the door of her stove. She didn't have them on top of the stove. Well, the door opened. Her face hit the top of the stove. Then, And so she bent herself backwards in a U. You know how the, it was horrible looking. She then her, The first thing that hit her uh, the ground was the, the point of her hips. Okay, and then everything else came crashing down. Well, her face hit the bottom of the stove, and then the stove fell on top of her. I gotta—I have to admit, I'm glad that woman planked because I don't. Let's just say uh, I was able to get up and, and get rid of everything I ate yesterday right afterwards. It was legitimately—I thought that was one of the funniest things I may have seen. It is just as good as that woman who gets up on the table, the the very large woman who stands up on the table, starts singing, and the table flips, and she falls, and her feet go in there. I'm telling you, it's funnier than that. So, just and the great thing is, it takes a second. It takes like three seconds before the stove actually falls on top of her. 
And after everybody's laughing until the stove hits, and then everybody's like, "Uh oh." <laughs> so, uh, so anybody out there planking? I, I had no idea. I'm glad to, that you told me. I knew it was some type of fact because I've been seeing it everywhere, and now I know what it is. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't know specifically what it was. Now, um, yeah, now just, 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 just ignore it because it's because it'll go away within a couple months. Okay, good, good. I, I'm glad I don't have to get on the planking bandwagon. Now it probably started with. Some guy who was just passed out drunk, and there was a picture of him. He said, no, I did that on purpose. I was planking. That's probably how it all started. They're like, oh, really? Oh, I meant to do that. Oh, I'm going to do it, too. That's funny. Maybe it started that way. Uh, who knows? Who knows? But on a, a more serious note, and uh, this one is, is awfully, awfully strange. If anybody uh, remembers the name of Mark Stroman, uh, Mark Stroman is the uh, idiot white supremacist who uh, after 9-11, decided that he was going to shoot everybody that he deemed uh, was Muslim, not from the United States, and not a, a wave-flagging, uh, heart-stomping, uh, you know, patriot. And uh, he was going around Texas and shooting people. But if you guys remember that story. Okay, well, it just so happens uh, he shot a guy uh, by the name of B.U. Vianas, okay? And uh, what happened was he had walked into a convenience store and and uh, B, who's uh, who's uh, of Hindu religion, okay, got shot in the face by Mark Stroman because he just walked into his convenience store and shot his friend, which who died, and shot him right in the face. He pretended like he was dead. Now he's blind in one eye, but he has survived. And now this guy is fighting for Mark Stroman's life. He's uh, it's Texas, and he killed somebody. Which it's it's eye for an eye in Texas. Even if people in Texas are like, I'm glad he did it. Even if they're yelling that, they all know, hey, it's eye for an eye. So he's he's going to get the death sentence. But this guy, Theo Vanas, is actually fighting for his life, saying it's, the guy wasn't thinking properly after 9-11. I forgive him. He doesn't deserve to die. So uh, that's a strange, strange story going on down in Texas. Now, I don't think it's going to really matter because they, they love killing people down in Texas. They're proud of the fact that, hey, if you kill somebody in Texas, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make sure you die too because they want to be able to say we have guns and we're protected. That's why we have guns is to protect ourselves. So they want to let people know that if you're not gonna use guns properly, if you're gonna go out there and use them on the offensive, they uh, they light the chair up on you. So uh, very interesting story going on out in uh, Texas right now. So oh uh, well, I gotta tell you, I, I did the last couple minutes outside of the show and. It's not so bad. I would have to say it's only 90 degrees. At least it only feels like 90 degrees out here in Aurora. So maybe we're going to have a, a little bit more of a, of a of a lighter day in terms of uh, in terms of weather. Uh, now check out the the Dutch report this morning. Basically, we're going to have record highs in some more of the of the southern states. I don't know how people can deal with it, but they do. They do. I, I guess I deal with it every day. So it's going to be all right now. Uh, around baseball today, the Cubs wrap up their series with the Phillies, and Phillies' first team in baseball to reach 60 games this year. They're having an absolutely phenomenal year. Uh, hopefully, the Cubs can get a win today. You know, it, uh, in order to get back, in order to get these kids learn how to play winning baseball, you might as well have them playing against the top-ranked teams and and playing good baseball. So uh, it's pretty important. Cubs get a try to get a win today. It's, it's one of these things in, in a season where you're getting absolutely hammered and you know you're not going to win. When you do get to play the Phillies of the world, uh, when you play the Cardinals, 
those, those are important series because we as fans, we don't have much. And trust me, I'm willing to talk smack to a Philadelphia Philly, Philly fan right now. Let him know this is Chicago Cup baseball, and you better look out. So, <laughs> uh, well, well, then we've covered a bunch of stuff uh, around uh, the news today. But so here's, I'm going to end it with this. Uh, there is a, a young lady in Thailand who is now the first woman prime minister in Thailand's history, and I got to be. She's a 44 year old woman. Her her last name is Chuanwita. Okay, or Schwanzita, I guess you would say. And uh, i got to be quite honest with you, the woman's ex- extremely attractive, and she's a self-made billionaire. And it's really cool that an Asian country actually elects a woman president or prime minister in Thailand's case. So, uh, you know, it's pretty historic. It happened two weeks ago. I've been meaning to bring it up and talk to you a bit about Coach because uh, it's kind of funny because i got to be quite honest, she's extremely attractive. And I don't even know if that has anything to do with her being the, the prime minister, but as a 44-year-old woman, she looks more like 25, and I, I think Thailand's going the right way. You, you know, you elect the best person to be the, the prime minister of your country, and uh, even though politics, and when I hear people say, oh, you know, elect a businessman because, uh, you know, you should run the government like a business, well, I, I, I do believe that, but I don't know if it's that easy, if it's always that easy. Uh, I, I honestly do think that my mom sent me this one thing, Walmart versus the morons, and who would you rather have run the country? And it was extremely well written. I should, uh, when Coach is on, I should bring that out to him. He would like it. There's some pretty funny stuff on it. Uh, but, you know, you should elect a person who you think is, you know, best for your country. This woman, you know, hopefully she can do uh, great things for Thailand because, you know, Thailand has uh, been an extremely poor country for a long time, and this woman was able to uh, make herself a billionaire there. So, Hopefully that she can turn some stuff around. And just hearing her speak is extremely impressive. Very impressive woman. So I just wanted to throw that out there so nobody thinks that I'm sexist when coming to this. So I'm very happy that a woman was elected prime minister. But there's there's a stereotype like that. Women are better drivers than men. Okay? Whether or not, I'm not going to get into all that. But there's also a stereotype like the teenage boy, the aggressive driver, driving stupid, you know, uh, making too many... Uh, aggressive mistakes. Well, I got to be quite honest with you. I I have to say, instead of teenage boys fitting that particular role, and you do, by the way, teenage boys. Okay, middle-aged women driving. I, you know, I'm on a bike now, and I am not kidding. Almost every single time I have been killed this year, and I can't tell you how many times people were not paying attention and almost ran me over. Most of the time, it's by like a 40-year-old woman, and every single time that I get yelled at like I did something wrong by just riding my bike down the street and you didn't see me and then almost hit me and then you scream, watch where you're going. Every single time it's been by a woman. So I'm like, are you serious? Why are you yelling at me? I'm, you almost killed me. And and it's normally from now on it's going to be like, I'm you're right. I'm sorry. I should have known you were applying makeup while you were turning and I should have known not to cross the street and get in your way because obviously, quite honest with you, that would be my my bad because I'm on a I'm on a 12 pound bike and you're in a two ton SUV so I really don't want to get hit by you so I just want to let I I don't mean to get in your way so when you're talking on the phone and applying makeup and putting lipstick on as you drive when you hit me I'll I'll, I'll just be like oh I'm sorry I should have known you were applying makeup while you were driving I'm I'm extremely sorry so just wanted to throw that out there I really don't want to get killed. And I will say this, I'm trying to do this as most calm as possible because the other day I was crossing Randolph and almost got hit by somebody. 
and I will admit it was my fault. And all this year, I've almost been hit like 10 times on that bike. And one of the times it was my fault. So I will tell you, I, I do take it extremely seriously. Uh, I want to be able to walk. I want to live. Okay. So, uh, just, just what I'm saying, I, I follow the rules of the road. I stop at green lights. I mean, I stop at red lights. I do all that stuff. Please, people, please be considerate. Don't door me. Okay. Uh, it's, it's freaking me out. I got to tell you, I have a phobia over it recently because of so many different things that have almost happened to me. So please. Be considerate of our bike riders, especially the ones like me who follow the rules of the road. I signal. I stop at red lights. I, I let pedestrians, people walking, go past me. So I'm just throwing that out there. Okay. I had to, I had to sweat that last one out. I went outside and because I, I knew I was going to get a little – at least I didn't get too hot-tempered. So, but just before I go, Dave Olson, I just want to throw you out there. Do you think – am I wrong in saying middle-aged women have replaced teenage boys as the most aggressive drivers on the road? Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. It's it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, really, I crack crack up by it. It's like women honking their horn as I'm in the bike lane saying I'm not going fast enough. Well, why are you trying to pass somebody on the right lane? You know, so (laughs) I I fear for my life when I'm downtown. So, and and I'm not trying to be morbid or anything like that. I honestly do. It's like it's a phobia that I'm getting every time I try to go ways that I know there will be no cars. I I go two miles out of the way. And I still will beat my girlfriend, who's in a cab at the time, going to the same place I'm going. And I'm trying to go the safest route I possibly can. So uh, just throwing it out there. We need more bike riders in the, in the city of Chicago. So, well, Dave Olson, I guess that just about wraps it up, doesn't it? So uh, thank you for pushing all the buttons over there. Sorry about not being on air at exactly the same time. I had a ridiculous hay fever attack that I swear I get between 9.45 and 10 a.m. every other day. I, I, I can't explain it. But I just sneeze like a, a hundred times in a row. It's horrible. So, uh, anyways, thanks to all the listeners. Uh, Coach will be back tomorrow. I'm pretty sure he'll be back. So, uh, stay tuned, everybody. We'll have a great show for you. And we'll keep on getting you some funny stuff over here. There's two guys in the mic. Joel Redwanski filling in for the coach, John Cohn, and David Olson doing a great job on the other side. See you tomorrow, everybody.